Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, sometimes your word is hard to understand and we have to work at it. And other times it's, it's clear and uh, simple and straightforward. Lord, your words in the gospel this morning are clear and simple and straightforward. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers too. And we pray that would be us, Lord. That would be us today. That would be us as a church. That would be us as Christians. That would be people who not just hear your word, but put it into practice. And we pray that you would show us what that means in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Confession. Uh, When I was 18, I was an idiot. Many of you were too as well. Uh, 18 years old, uh, time of 18th birthday parties arrived. And I remember one summer was just a, a season of parties. One 18th party after another 18th party. One in particular I will never forget. Uh, a friend of mine, a guy called Chris, his parents, who were more of an idiot than he was, uh, were going away for the weekend and they told him he could have a party. In fact, he could have his 18th birthday party in their home while he was away. And Chris invited a select few, and we invited one or two more, and they invited one or two more. And of course, uh, the inevitable happened. Uh, Word got out. This was in the days before Facebook, in the days before uh, mobile phones, and uh, the crowds gathered. More and more people kept uh, pouring into the party, each bringing a little bit more alcohol. And before too long, things were spiralling massively out of control. One group uh, found their way down to the cellar and found Chris's dad's uh, wine uh, store, his wine collection, and merrily broke it open and helped themselves to that. Uh, Another group found their way into the bedroom, discovered the nice suits, and promptly thought they looked better on them than they did on his dad, and uh, carried those off. At one point, things were getting out of uh, control so much, it was getting quite frightening, and I retreated to the bathroom and locked myself in. And I thought I was safe until I heard a tapping. And I couldn't work out what what the tapping was until I looked up, and there was a skylight in the bathroom uh, roof on the ceiling of the house, and there were people actually on the roof uh, knocking on the skylight, going, let us in, let us in. That was true, honestly. Well, it wasn't uh, too long before the sound of sirens was heard and uh, flashing blue lights and there was a stern knock at the door and the police had arrived. And they announced in no uncertain terms the party was over. The party was over. And all that was left for a few of us to do was to clear up the mess. Our story in Daniel's, uh, uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel's life uh, today, is about a, a party which is gate-crashed. But it's not, it's not gate-crashed by some uh, 18-year-old yobbos. It's not gate-crashed by some uh, drunk teenagers. It's gate-crashed by God Almighty. God interrupts the festivities. Uh, God breaks in. And he breaks in with a solemn announcement. Your days are numbered. You've been weighed and found wanting. Your kingdom will be taken away. The party is over. It stops now. 
it's a message for Belshazzar. Who is Belshazzar? We'll just give you a little bit of uh, context. Our, our, our life of Daniel so far, Daniel's been living under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Where we are now is 25 years on. So although we've just moved a chapter in the book of Daniel, we've moved 25 years in Daniel's life. Daniel now is probably uh, an older man, later a middle age. He's still a ruler, uh, a, a governor in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar died. And in his place, or following after him, came another king, King Nabonidus. He had a son called Belshazzar. And uh, they ruled together. They divided the kingdom of Babylon between them. Nabonidus, he ruled from Saudi Arabia. Uh, Belshazzar, the king in this story, he ruled from Babylon. And uh, together they ruled for 25 years, shared the kind of empire between them. Around this time, another power is on the rise. Uh, Persia, um, what we now think of as Iran, uh, basically a bit more uh, than that. And they're slowly, steadily growing. And Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, is slowly, steadily shrinking. And then there's a year of tragedy. Uh, Darius the Mede, the Persian ruler, sweeps down into Saudi Arabia. And he captures Nabonidus, the co-ruler, Belshazzar's father, puts him in chains, defeats his army, and then moves back to Babylon. And the whole of the Persian army surround uh, Babylon. And that's the situation that we've got in this story. So we read the story of a party, but we don't quite get what's happening. What's happening is that this city of Babylon is completely surrounded by her enemies. And what does Belshazzar, a relatively young man, do, the ruler at the time? What's his response? Well, he's full of arrogance. He's full of hubris. He throws a big party to show that he's the man, to show that he's not afraid of anyone or anything. And he's good reason not to be afraid, even though he's in what would seem like a dire situation. See, at this time, there's over a million people who live in Babylon. The city was famed for its city walls. Those walls uh, were 350 feet high. They're 85 feet across. One of the sports of the Babylonians, their kind of Olympic games, would they would have chariot races along the walls. You could fit um, uh, four chariots pulled by horses side by side on the top of the wall and they would race around uh, the city. Guards patrolled the walls, always on the lookout, as though it was like a prison, looking out uh, to see what was going on. The river Euphrates ran through the city of Babylon, so they had uh, ready water all the time. They had big storehouses underneath the foundations where they kept bread and grain. Uh, They had supplies for 20 years. If there were a siege, they could last 20 years. They could outlast uh, their enemies. And the water from the Euphrates was uh, diverted into a great moat that went all around the city that no man could cross. Babylon had never fallen. It had never been defeated. So the city is under siege, but Belshazzar, he's not particularly worried. And to show that he's the big man, he throws a party. He invites a thousand guests. 
They have the best wine. They have the finest food. And to serve it up, well, they get those, those goblets, those temples that they stole from the Jews, that they stole from Yahweh uh, years ago in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. They're smug. They're sophisticated. They're superior. The party's unashamedly blasphemous. The name Belshazzar means, Bel is my protector. And Bel was the god of the Babylons. The party is designed to exalt the god of Babylon and to put down all the other gods. They drink their wine over, out of sacred vessels. Belshazzar shows that he has no respect. He's got no respect for his father, who's in chains, probably in the prison camp um, outside. He's got no respect for his enemy. He doesn't prepare for battle. He doesn't seek terms of peace. He's got no respect for the God of heaven and earth. And in the midst of the festivities, blue lights are seen. Not literally, but you, you know what I mean. There's a heavy knock at the door. A hand writes on the wall. Heavenly graffiti. The party is over. Tonight, your kingdom will be taken from you. Verse 6 describes Belshazzar's reaction. This big man, this arrogant young man, his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. So overcome by what he saw that he went uh, totally limp. Application for us uh, is this. God has a way of getting hold of us and bringing us back to reality when we need it. Daniel's message is simple. Paul puts it like this. Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. It's not really told in the Bible what happened next, but there's a Greek historian called the father of history, a man called Herodotus, and he gives an account of the fall of the Babylonian Empire. He tells us that on the eve of the overthrow of Babylon, when the army was encamped around the city, uh, the king of Babylon, Belshazzar, threw a great party. And while that party was going on, the commander of the Persian army went upstream of the river Euphrates. And he filled in the river. And he ordered his uh, engineers to dig a channel. And they, they diverted the river that, fl uh, that flowed through the city. As the river was diverted, the water levels dropped, the moat was drained. Nobody noticed what was going on. And his army simply marched across uh, the moat, in through the water outlets that would uh, resupply it, into the heart of the city, caught them unawares, and overthrew it in a night. Belshazzar thought he was safe. But he's killed in a night. His city is conquered. The party is over. 
What does that mean for us today? Thousands of years later, what relevance does this have for us? I want to try and show its relevance on a kind of a big scale, on a macro scale, relevance for our world, if you like, relevance for the church at large. And then it's relevance on a, on a micro scale, it's relevance on a very personal scale, it's relevance for us as, as families and individuals. So the macro scale, the big, the big scale, the big truth, the big message of this, well, it's simple. One day, all kingdoms fall. One day, all kingdoms fall. Remember the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision? Gold head, silver chest, bronze legs, clay feet, different kingdoms, Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, all would rise, all would be brought low. Think of our kind of history books, the story of empires. The Greek Empire falls, replaced by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire falls, replaced by the barbarians. There's the Byzantines, there's the Holy Roman Empire, there's the Islamic expansion into Europe all the way up through Spain, and then that's uh, driven all the way back down into Africa. There's the Ottoman Empire, there's the Spanish Empire, there's the Portuguese Empire, there's the British Empire. They'll rise, and they're all brought low. Nothing lasts forever. That's just from our perspective. Look around the world. There's the, the Han Dynasty in China. There was the Mongol expansion. There was the Incan civilization. There was the Angkor Wat uh, uh, civilization. All rise, all fall. And sovereign over all, sovereign through all, is the God of heaven and earth. A God who is not to be mocked. If you live in one of those empires, if you live under one of these empires... At their height, they feel all-encompassing, they feel all-powerful, they feel as though they control every area of your life. They feel as though they will go on forever. Some leaders are good, some leaders are poor. Some leaders are wise, some leaders are arrogant. Some leaders put increasing pressure on their subjects, demand ever-increasing loyalty. Some empires demand ultimate loyalty. A loyalty that Christians can never give. Today in Egypt, there are demonstrations planned. And uh, the Bishop of Egypt, a man called uh, Munir Anis, has written a letter which has been um, publicised by the, the Church of England, by the Anglican Church around the world. And he writes of the situation in Egypt. And he writes of the situation facing uh, the church in Egypt. A church living under a, a regime for whom there were such high hopes came in during the Arab Spring and is increasingly taking on a more uh, Islamist uh, character. He writes this. Two weeks ago, there were demonstrations in several, uh, several governorships in objection to the appointment of new governors who are known Islamists. A new movement called Rebellion was formed last April, and they called for massive demonstrations. Demonstrations against the president and the government on the 30th of June. That's today. They claim to have gathered the signatures of 15 million supporters. 
One week ago, the Islamists made big demonstrations in support of the president. They warned the supporters of rebellion against demonstrating on the 30th of June. They said this, anyone who will sprinkle water at the president will be sprinkled with blood. This means that there will be bloodshed if people try to force the president to step down. That's what it's like being a Christian leader in Egypt today. You could tell stories about Christians in Iran, Christians in Afghanistan, Christians in uh, Syria, and uh, so on. Living in these empires, living in these places, you feel squeezed. You feel that you have no choices. You feel that you have no uh, options. You think, well, is there, is there any future uh, for us? But the big truth of this passage, the thing that should give us hope and give those Christians hope in these situations is these kingdoms don't last forever. They don't last forever. There's just one kingdom that will last forever and Christians are members of it. What did Jesus say? I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Every other Sunday here at St. Giles, we have um, Evensong. And one of the things that we do in Evensong is that we'll sing uh, the Magnificat together. It's a very uh, gentle service, very uh, meditative service, very gentle uh, piece of, of, of music, piece of liturgy, if you like. But the words are incendiary. The Magnificat is Mary's song. It's Mary's expression of praise uh, when she finds out uh, that she's going to bear uh, Jesus. She says this, The Lord has mercy on those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He casts down the mighty from their thrones and he lifts up the lowly. This is a story of the writing of the wall. These empires, they won't last forever. The mighty will be brought low. God will not be mocked. Think of the fall of communism. Think of the collapse of the Berlin Wall. Think of the dismantling of apartheid. Think of these great changes that the world has seen. Unthinkable, unthinkable a generation ago. So that's the big picture, that's the big thing. But what about us? What what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us here in West Bridgeford in 2013? What does this mean on a personal uh, level? Let me be very sort of personal uh, here. Part of the message of this book, part of the message of this story is an encouragement to stand firm under pressure. Initially, they can't understand what the words mean on the, on the wall. So the queen remembers Daniel. He's, he's brought out. He's brought before uh, the king. The king says this to him. Now, I've heard you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. I've heard you can read this writing and tell me what it means. You'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. You'll be made the highest ruler in the kingdom. 
And Daniel's response is interesting. Verse 17. You may keep your gifts. You may give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. There's a subtle power at work here. There's a subtle temptation here. There's a, there's a pressure building here on Daniel. Tell me what this means. But it better be good. It better be good. There's goal and power and authority for you here. Tell me what it means. But it better be good. There's a gift for you here if you tell me what I want to hear. And Daniel stands firm, resists the temptation, resists the uh, seduction of power, uh, speaks the truth. The pressure of the influential is a pressure every one of us will face as we seek to follow Christ. As you seek to live for Christ in this life, you will face uh, temptations each day. Very real temptations to compromise your convictions and your principles as a disciple of Christ. The wealthy and the influential may sometimes make you promises. They sometimes offer to uh, bargain with you. As a Christian, this is something that you must resist. You must determine whose approval you're ultimately seeking. Whose approval you're ultimately seeking. Whose kingdom your loyalties, with whose kingdom your loyalties ultimately lie. Remember what the name of Daniel means? Dan I-L, judge my God. God is my judge. Daniel is an old man now, and he gave up years ago trying to win the approval of men. Paul puts it this way, again in Galatians. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. We talked before um, on Sundays about the pressure of work and the pressure to compromise. I'm not going to talk about that uh, this morning. Let's talk about a different pressure. A very personal pressure, pressure uh, that I uh, face. I wonder if this uh, rings any bells for anybody. I have three children. You know that, you all know that. Uh, My eldest, Ethan, uh, loves computers, crazy about computers, loves computer games. Uh, loves playing online with his friends. There's a couple of games that he play. They all go online, all talk to each other online, all battle each other out there on the internet uh, somewhere. Sunday mornings, popular time for his mates to get on the computer, go online, uh, fight their battles. Battles in our house. Do I have to go to church? Do I have to do that? Pressure in our house. Is it, it, what are we going to do? Lily, my middle one, loves drama, part of a drama group, part of a, a theatre group. When we first uh, started looking for a group for her to get involved, we looked at uh, rehearsal schedules, some on Saturdays, others on Sundays. For us, Sunday 
uh, not an option. Had to say no to some things that you would have uh, loved to do. Battle, uh, pressure, heartache. My youngest son, uh, Aaron, uh, football is his thing. Uh, he's, he's, he's good. Uh, it doesn't take after me. He's skilled. Um, when we took him to sign up for football, went along a football club that all his mates uh, play for. Six years old, signing the forms. QD practice on a, on a Saturday, practice on a Sunday. Can you play matches on a, on a Sunday? Actually, we can't do Sundays. Can't, can't do Sundays. Have to do Saturdays. Three different pressures we face. Pre- pre- pressure on the scale of, of Munir and Nis in Egypt? Uh, ridiculous, of course not. Pressure on the same scale of Christians in, in Syria? Of course not. No, nowhere near. Nothing, nothing the same. Uh, pressure on the, uh, nonetheless? Absolutely. Pressure that we have to say no to? Well, in, in a sense, it's cut and dried. I mean, you know, I'm a vicar. Sundays are a big day uh, for us. But for you, you face these pressures. You've got kids who are into sport or into computer or into uh, other things. You've got partners who uh, maybe wouldn't like to have you here every week on a Sunday. Pressures that you face. Some of you, pressures that are agonizing. Some of you talked to me about uh, facing situations that feel like you're kind of tearing your family apart. Negotiating, uh, wrestling, uh, fighting, uh, struggling. Some of us don't even think about these pressures. Some of us agonize over them and, and work at them and battle over them and shed tears over them. Some of us don't even give it a thought. Sunny day? She goes to the park, she goes to church. People coming over, she stay at home, she goes to church. Conf- conflicts arrive, scheduling problems arrive, uh, no contest. Let's just, let's just go with the, the easy thing. It's easy to be forever running from one thing to the next, to just, just give in to the pressures, never, never face them. Snatching church when nothing else is on. But there's a consequence of of living that way. The consequence is that you lose a sense of who you are in Christ. You lose a sense of belonging to uh, a people of God, uh, belonging to a community together, walking with Christ. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Star Trek, the Borg, you'll be assimilated. Of course, the thing about being assimilated is you never realize you've been assimilated, you don't realize it's happened that realise that you've lost uh, your distinctiveness. Now hear me, hear me. I'm not saying everybody has to be in church every single Sunday. It's not a rant by the vicar to say, you've got to be here and you've got to have your kids be here and you know, this is how you do it, okay? Hear what I'm saying, I'm not saying that. I'll show you my t-shirt this morning. I'm not Superman, don't worry. Cliff, 10k run. I thought I might get a round of applause for that. <laughs> Sunday morning, 
10K. I was there, not here in St. Giles. We do get Sundays off occasionally. Uh, made, made a choice. I'm going to do the, do the run. Now, those of you who make choices on other days, I'm not, I'm not talking about you have to be here every Sunday. I'm not saying that you, you don't fight with your kids, you don't have that. So I'm just saying there are pressures on us that always seek to pull us uh, apart, pull us away from the community that is church, and we don't have to give in to those. Daniel stands firm. Daniel doesn't give in. The story of Daniel is a story of a man who doesn't give in. Last week, uh, Nigel preached on uh, Daniel's companions in the fiery furnace. And um, part of the story uh, that he wasn't able to, to get to was the story, the part where they're actually in the furnace. And at that moment, uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, looks through into the furnace and he sees the three companions in there, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And he sees a fourth person in there. And he says, one like the Son of Man uh, was in there as well. Somebody else was standing there with them. Was it an angel? Was it God? Who was it? We don't know. But somebody else stood with them and strengthened them. My message this morning is not, you should do this or you should do that. My message this morning is, you can stand. You can stand, because Christ stands with you. Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I, the Lord your God, am with you. For some of us, the pressures that we face at work or at home or wherever we are, are, they feel overwhelming. They feel like waters that will sweep us away. They feel like fire that will burn us up. We feel weak. But the message of the gospel is that we can stand. We can stand. Because Christ stands with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to take this message to heart. Help us to take it to heart in our our own world, whatever pressures we face, whatever it is that uh, would draw us away from you. Whether it's the heartache of uh, families and children, whether it's uh, pressure from husbands and wives or parents, uh, whether it's conflict at work where we feel it's difficult to stand and difficult to maintain our integrity. Lord, would you make us aware of you standing with us? Would you make us aware of the strength that we have in you and help us to take hold of it? And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face far, far greater dangers than we ever will. We pray for the church in Egypt, the church in Syria, the church in Iran, the church in Iraq. And we pray that you would strengthen it 
and guide it and you protect it and bless it and cause it to prosper. In Jesus' name, amen.